5, the verses 22 to 33. This is the Word of God. It's on page 978 in your pew Bible. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we are going to put the women in their place. Does that sound nice? If you have an accident and your bone breaks and it's sticking through your skin and you go to the emergency and the doctor says, we're going to put that bone back in its place, is that a good thing? It's a good thing. If you're driving along the highway and a part of your motor comes through the hood, flies out of the engine, and you go to the mechanic and they say, well, let's put all the parts of your engine back in their proper place. Is that a good thing? It certainly is. So why does it sound so ugly to say we need to put people in their place? Now, if you remember a sermon we had a few months ago on 1 Timothy chapter 2, you remember that I've used this example before. The reason that it sounds so ugly to say, I'm going to put a person in their place, is because it's usually in the context of a person who does not accept the place that has been given to them. And so it's said in a situation of conflict and rebellion against the way that God has ordained the world to be. Well, this morning we look at Ephesians chapter 5, towards the end of chapter 5, and we remember that the Lord is teaching us to, to live a spirit-filled life, is to live a life which embraces God's created order taking our places. And the reason that speaking about 
women being in their place sounds so jarring to our modern ears is because we live in a context of a culture that for more than a century has been saturated with feminism. And feminism teaches that the relationships between men and women are relationships of power and control. And the solution of feminism is to make men and women the same. The solution of feminism is to say there's no difference between men and women. Women are, for all intents and purposes, men who happen to have a uterus. And we see the results of that pernicious false teaching in our culture, because if men and women are interchangeable, if they're exactly the same in every way, then marriage can be between any two people. And that's what we see in the culture. But things have gone further than the feminists anticipated. Things have gone to the logical, ridiculous extreme. Because if men and women are no different, then a man can be a woman, or a woman can be a man, to the horror of the classic feminists of our time. Now, God gives us a better perspective. Marriage is what he made, and he teaches us that it is a beautiful picture of unity in diversity. And so marriage, in a way, is a picture of the very character of God. In his very being, he is unity in diversity. Marriage, according to the scripture, marriage the way God made it, is not a relationship of power, but it is a relationship an organic relationship of love and of life. Now, as we deal with the end of chapter 5 here, which is dealing with marriage, men, uh, wives, and husbands, I want to speak to the singles that are here and that are listening. You may be wondering, why should I listen to this sermon? Well, if the Lord has not called you to be single for life, then perhaps God is preparing you for marriage, and it's good for you to think through the biblical teaching about marriage. If you are one of those special Christians that God has given a special calling to, to be single for your whole life and to do a special task in the kingdom, celebrate that. It's a special gift that you've been given, a blessing. But in this text, you see there's a lot of teaching, not only about husbands and wives, but also the relationship between the church and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a lot of teaching in this text which deals specifically with you as well. And so we come to the first verse of our text, wives submit to your husbands. Now, we, we add the word submit there in our translation to make it more easy to understand, but the apostle doesn't repeat the word. He says in the Greek basically this from verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, the wives to their own husbands. To their own husbands. Marriage is in view here, not generally the relationship between males and females. There's a lot to say about males and females and their relationship, but we're going to focus on this text today and specifically what this text has to teach us. Now, remember where this text comes from. 
Remember the context. Paul is speaking about spirit-filled living. If you look back there in, in chapter 5, he says in verse 18, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And then after that come a whole bunch of participles. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Well, then we are a people that is addressing and singing and making melody and giving thanks and submitting. These are all working out what it looks like to be a Spirit-filled people. And so this submitting to one another is now worked out in three specific examples. Paul is teaching us what the people, the children of light look like, what their life looks like in this world when they are filled with the power and the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul begins, having generally said that spirit-filled living looks like this, that we take our places, Paul begins with the first specific example being marriage, the most basic, the most fundamental of all human relationships, the very first one that ever happened, the relationship between a husband and wife. Now, when Paul's speaking to the husbands and wives here and speaking about submission, he does not have obedience in mind first of all. Submission includes obedience. But in chapter 6, verse 1, he uses a different verb, and it's translated as such in our Bibles. Children, obey your parents. Look at chapter 6, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. What Paul is focusing on here is not specifically the obedience of a wife to her husband, but the submission of a wife to her role as a wife, to her husband in relationship to his role as a husband. So his focus is on men and women taking their place in the relationship as it is supposed to be, as it was created to be, as it can be and must be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands, not to men in general, but to your own husbands, there's the relationship, as to the Lord. That's important. How do you relate, sisters, to the Lord? Well, you are part of the body. He loves you. He died for you. He is your head. You love him. You serve him. You want to please him. So, verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. What does that headship look like? Well, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Christ is not the oppressor of the church. Christ is not the boss man of the church. He is not the slave driver of the church. He is not the abuser of the church. He is the savior of the church, the life giver, the lover. Now, what does Christ mean to the church then? He is protector. 
He is provider. We, the bride of Christ, we delight in him. We rejoice in his love. We love to please with please him. We gladly do what he wills us to do. We delight to be near to him and to be united to him. That's <clears throat> the dynamic which Paul describes as being spirit-filled Christian marriage. It's not a power struggle. How can it be a power struggle? The example used for man and woman and for Christ and the church is the example of a head and a body. And if your head and your body are engaged in a power struggle, then you have a problem and something is very, very wrong. If your body doesn't listen to your head, then you need to see a doctor. That's frightening. If your head says to your body, let's walk over there, and your legs say, I'm not moving. That's frightening. If, you're, if you tell your hand to move to the right and it moves to the left, that's, that's scary. It means something's terribly wrong when your body fights your head or your head fights your body. And to be ridiculous about it, if your body says, I've had enough of being under the head, it's time for me to have my turn. From now on, I'm in charge, I'm on top, and the head can do the walking and I will do the deciding. Well, imagine that, children, if your body decided to do that, if the head and the body were arguing and the body said, that's it, head, you're on the bottom from now on. And imagine trying to walk into church on your head. It would be very difficult, wouldn't it? It's very difficult when things don't do what they're supposed to do, what they were created to do. And so the apostle describes spirit-filled marriage as a marriage in which husband and wife embrace their created roles. And the apostle continues in verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And again, this is a description of spirit-filled marriage in Christ. Marriage restored to what we are supposed to be. When the apostle says that the church submits to Christ, and in that way in everything, as she submits to Christ, the church so also wives and everything submit to their husbands with that same spirit. Sometimes people just pull those words out. They say, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Not what the apostle's saying. He's not saying that every arbitrary and irrational and selfish command from the husband, the wife must jump up and perform it immediately. That is not what the scripture teaches. Because that's not the way that the church submits to Christ. Arbitrary and irrational commands from your body, from your head to your body, means there's something wrong with your head. If your head starts giving all kinds of strange commands to your body, you will fight that. That means there's something wrong. You've got to go see a psychiatrist or a doctor to take a scan of your brain to see what's wrong. Headship, which is hateful, which attacks the body, that is not how the church submits to Christ. And that is not how a wife submits to her husband. 
when there is something unhealthy, when there is something wrong, when, as the apostle mentions in verse 29, no one ever hates his own flesh, but when a head does hate his own flesh. Then there are times when it is the Christ-like, the Spirit-filled response to gently and lovingly and respectfully say no. No, my dear husband. Your words and your attitudes and your actions are destroying the relationship. And we need to seek help from our pastors and from counselors. You see, the church does not submit to Christ by wondering what arbitrary command he is going to hurl at us next. What cruel or humiliating or violent act he's going to hurt us with next. And so a Christ-filled woman does not submit to her husband by accepting abusive treatment. True love, true Christian submission means zero tolerance for abuse. Zero tolerance. It means seeking help immediately. Nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to give blind and unthinking obedience to any human authority. No human authority is absolute. And when the head gives hurtful and arbitrary and irrational commands to the body, then we are very sick and we need to seek help because our body will do everything it can to distinguish between what is good and what is harmful and what's coming from the head. And so remember, wives submit in everything to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. And the church submits to Christ in a relationship of love and of life, not a relationship of power. You see, in the world... Marriage is a zero-sum game. If I give something up, then I lose, and he wins. But for the church, it's not like that. It's not like if Christ wins, then we lose. It's the opposite. The church and Christ have a relationship in which she gives herself 100% to the Lord Jesus, who has given himself 100% to her. And so the apostle continues Husbands, verse 25, love your wives. Now look at how big the text is and look at how much of a chunk of it deals with the husbands. The buck stops with the husband. Most of the words in our text are directed to the husband because he is ultimately responsible for the character of the marriage. He sets the tone. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so husbands, love your wives. Well, why did Christ give himself up for her? That he might sanctify her. You see that there in verse 26? That he might sanctify her. What does that mean? Well, it means that he might make her holy. What does that mean? Well, to be holy means to be totally dedicated to God. That's how Christ loved the church. That's why Christ gave himself up for the church to make her pure and holy and 100% dedicated 
to the glory and worship of God. And that is what husbands are called to do for their wives. Husbands, are you willing and are you ready to live like this? Are you willing and ready to die, to give up your life if necessary for your wife? That's your calling as a husband. To bring and to lead your wife as a spiritual leader in your home. To present her before the Lord and say, Lord, here's my wife. She is holy. She is loved. And everything I've done, I've done to promote and encourage her sanctification. Her total commitment and dedication to you, God. It's not about me. She's not my maid. She's not my personal belonging. She is a royal daughter of God. And I have the privilege of loving her and nurturing her and leading her and encouraging her to be ever more holy, to be ever more committed to and dedicated to, to God. Brother, how will you ever be able to give your life for your wife if you can't even tear yourself away from the hockey game to help her put the kids to bed, or to change a dirty diaper. The apostle continues in verse 28. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. If you're mentally healthy, you don't abuse your own body. We don't suppress our bodies. We don't neglect our bodies. We don't ignore them. We care for them. We nourish them. We love and cherish them. We make sure they don't get hurt or in danger. And when our body is wounded, we seek healing. But we don't micromanage our bodies either, do we? Our heads, thankfully, don't micromanage our bodies, telling the heart to beat. Imagine you had to do that. If your head had to tell the heart to beat, and if you are distracted and thinking about something else, your heart stopped beating. Or telling the pancreas when to release certain enzymes. That's not how it works. The head makes sure that the body is taken care of so that the body has everything it needs to function and flourish in its own God-appointed tasks and roles. And that's how a marriage works as well. So Paul comes in verse 31 to the beginning. He goes, reaches way back into Genesis chapter 1 and 2. He goes back to the basics. He goes back to the creation ordinances. He goes back to the way God made things to be. And that's important. We talked about that last time. That even now as our country is in turmoil, we need to go back to the basics. We need to embrace our callings. Because this is where the battle lies. And this is how the kingdom comes. And this is how the spirit-filled the spirit-worked newness of the future glory begins to work in our lives. In this world, human society is built on this fundamental relationship of unconditional, unbreakable love between husband and wife. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The translation is a little weak here. Because the word means to be glued, like with super glue. Can you imagine two pieces of paper and you smother the paper with 
very, very strong glue, and then you put the two pieces of paper together and you let them dry for a week or two, you will not be able to rip apart those pieces of paper without tearing massive holes in the one or the other. You can't get back the two individual sheets. They have been fused. And so it is with a marriage. And if someone's listening that's been through a divorce, you, you know how painful it is. It's like the ripping apart of a body when a marriage is broken up. If God has taken your husband or your wife from this life, you know that it's like being ripped apart You know the pain because a head and a body belong together. They can't live without each other. It is when they are together, flourishing, they get along, they work together, they respect one another's office and calling. This is the relationship of love and life that is pictured in holy marriage. So marriage is the deepest and most intimate relationship between human beings. And that's why God chooses it to picture Christ and the church. That's what Paul says in verse 32. Now, it was a mystery because back when Adam and Eve were created, we had no idea about what was going to happen, about the whole thing about the Lord Jesus coming and, be, and, and the Son of God becoming incarnate and dying for his bride and being the bridegroom and the church being the bride. We had no idea. It was a mystery. It is now revealed. Whenever you read about mysteries in the New Testament, whenever Paul speaks about mysteries, he speaks about things that were not known but are now revealed in the gospel. And so God chooses marriage to picture the relationship between Christ and the church. It's quite something. And so, brothers and sisters, as you invest time and energy and attention to building up your marriage in mutual love and respect, each one of you taking your place, husband and wife, then you are part of the Spirit's program of renewal. You are part of the expansion of the kingdom of light. Your marriage is more and more a sermon proclaiming the love of Christ. One of the greatest acts of testifying to the gospel of Christ in this world is simply to invite unbelievers to enjoy hospitality in your home so that they can see a human society ordered according to the creational ordinance of God and the power of the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are surrounded by refugees from the kingdom of darkness, from the world of sexual confusion and gender confusion and broken marriages and broken homes. And by opening our homes and inviting people to sit at table with us and our families, we give a taste of the kingdom of light and love in the midst of a sea of darkness and pain. It's one way in which we can speak and show the gospel into the neighborhood and community around us. Men, as you listen this morning, Consider your priorities. What does it profit a man to gain the world and to lose his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the world, to gain his career, to gain all of his goals in his business and work and lose his marriage? You see, you reap what you sow. That is a 
a rule, an inescapable law of creation. You reap what you sow. And if you sow little, or if you sow nothing, what can you expect from the harvest? And so the question this morning for each one of us is, are you investing in your marriage? Now, it's difficult to preach, always it's difficult to preach, as a sinner who is under the preaching and convicted by it himself. And also in this area, it's tough for me as a weak and sinful husband to preach this. But brothers and sisters, remember the context of our text. Paul is not telling us that we have to do a better job. Paul is not telling us to pull up our socks. Paul is not telling us to go get a book of 20 ways to be a better husband or a better wife. Paul is declaring good news to us. That if we want a better life, if we want a better marriage, then we can get it for nothing. We turn to the Lord. We seek from God to be filled with the Spirit. And when the Spirit of God fills us, then he transforms us from glory to glory after the image of Christ our Savior. And when the Spirit of God fills us, when he comes to us through the preaching of the word and through the administration of the sacraments, through the means of grace, then he transforms our marriages from glory to glory to look like the relationship between Christ and the church. So don't try harder, but pray harder. Ask God to work what he commands. Now we're going to sing Psalm 85, stanzas 3 and 4. And as we're singing stanza 3, if you look in your psalm book on page 213, you notice some echoes from Ephesians chapter 5. The psalmist says, let's listen to what God's saying here. Let's seek him in worship. That's the context just before our text. Let us not to foolish ways regress. Well, that's right there in chapter 5, isn't it? Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then stanza 4 describes what life is like when, it, when we are in a loving covenant relationship with our bridegroom the Lord Jesus Christ, the unfailing love, the constant faithfulness, the righteousness and peace which embrace and kiss and the rich blessings that are bestowed upon us. This is a picture there in stanza four of Psalm 85, a picture of the glory of God dwelling in the land. And it is also therefore a picture of the spirit and the glory of God dwelling in our marriages. There is blessing. There is joy, there is unity, there is love, there is respect, there is flourishing, there is life, and it prepares a way for the coming of the kingdom of God. Amen. <laughs>